TED Audio Collective. Nope is the name of Jordan Peele's most recent horror movie. It stars Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, engrossed over $100 million at the box office just three weeks into its debut. No spoilers here, but the movie, with its twists and turns, played with our affinity for UFOs and aliens and forced us to see what emerges when we reconsider what we don't know, our curiosity. Peel asks us to consider the idea that the universe is a laboratory and playground for discovery, that what we're trying to inhabit is completely inhabiting us, and that the things we don't yet have names for but are getting closer to seeing will completely shift our understanding of the universe. I know, I know, it might sound complicated, but if you see the movie, and you totally should, you'll get what I mean. So after watching the movie, I couldn't help but wonder what other mysteries in the sky we're getting closer to seeing. I'm Sherelle Dorsey, and this is TED Tech. Today, we're hearing from Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, about a different curiosity in the heavens, invisible matter. Which, as you'll hear, Prescott Weinstein believes might be a little more visible soon, within the next round of telescopic technology. While I won't profess to be a purveyor of alien life conspiracy theories, I am fascinated by this advancement and what these new images of space will reveal about our universe. Listen to the theoretical physicist's talk from the TED stage, and stick around after the talk to hear my thoughts on how we can honor the contributions of Black women in science and tech. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well... Now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. 
grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. When we look at the night sky, we see a vast cosmos filled with stars and galaxies and dust, a cosmos teeming with luminous phenomena. So we've all heard some version of that famous Carl Sagan line, we are made of star stuff, and it's true, we are. And that makes it easy to believe that what matters is what's visible, us, the trees, the stars, because it helps us feel connected to everything that we can see. Today, we know that everything visible in the universe is composed from a basic set of building blocks known as elementary particles. Comprehending the standard model is an enormous achievement. But we are now certain that it describes very little of what's out there. It turns out that most of the stuff which fills our universe is completely invisible to us. In other words, visible matter, the kind we and the stars are made from, the kind that radiates light, is not what's normal. And we, the luminous matter, we are the cosmic weirdos. So how do we know? We can see that stars and galaxies are affected by the presence of something more, something completely invisible to us. So we now know that the universe is more queer and fantastical than it looks to the naked eye. That's right. So how did the universe get this way, and what exactly is inside? So I'm a theoretical physicist with expertise in particle cosmology. And it's my job to use math to study the origin and evolution of space-time and every single thing that's inside of it. I connect the very small elementary particles with the extremely large galaxies and galaxy clusters, and I'm a griot of the universe. I develop creative mathematical narratives that may just be our cosmic origin story. Now, as a theoretical physicist, I really love doing math and coming up with different ideas that may describe our mostly invisible universe. But it's important to be accountable to data, too, the real stuff. So after mathematics, My second favorite tool for addressing these large cosmological questions is the biggest laboratory we know, the universe itself. Observatories with capabilities from visible light to high-energy X-ray and gamma-ray photons are still some of the best ways to gain insight into what's going on in space-time with the invisible stuff. So when it comes to the cosmic accounting, here's what we know so far. We're in the midst of a great cosmic drama where space-time is curved and it's expanding. And the history and future of that curvature and expansion is determined by what's inside. 
which is mostly not visible stuff like us, that's only about 5%. The majority of the energy matter content in the universe is something that we call dark energy. So empty space seems to have an energy associated with it. And that's increasingly affecting how space-time expands. After dark energy, the second largest ingredient is something that we call dark matter. So here's the funky thing about dark matter. Unlike dark energy, it gravitates exactly like visible matter, but it's completely unlike us in every other way. So you might be thinking, okay, dark matter, it clearly has a color associated with it, but the first thing that you should know about dark matter is that it doesn't have a color, and at least to first approximation, light seems to go right through it. So we can't see it. It's invisible, maybe transparent, maybe clear. So if you put out your hands and feel, think about the weight of having a clump of dark matter in your hands, that's how it would feel, but your hands would look exactly the same. Dark matter is dominant on the outskirts of galaxies, and it affects stellar motions on the edges. And this effect is actually how Vera C. Rubin and Kent Ford first found the first substantive evidence for the existence of dark matter. We believe that every single galaxy, or almost every single galaxy, lives inside of a dark matter halo. And we think that they're not alone. The Milky Way itself has around 60 gravitationally bound satellite galaxies that are in its orbit. Some of these you may have seen when observing the night sky or you may have heard of, like the Large Magellanic Cloud and the Small Magellanic Cloud. Each of these satellites lives inside of its own dark matter subhalo. The presence of dark matter is affecting how galaxies are distributed throughout space-time. So we can also reverse engineer where dark matter is. We can look at how images of galaxy clusters are distorted, which tell us something about how dark matter is distorting space-time. So we know something about how much dark matter there is, and even how the dark matter is distributed, but what kind of particle is it? So all that we know is that it's beyond standard model physics. It's not like any of the particles that we have ever seen or had any kind of contact with. All right, so this seems like a potentially terrifying, intractable problem, because we're talking about something that we can't see, something that we can't touch. You might be thinking, okay, they haven't had many ideas about that over the years, because that just seems really hard, right? And hopefully it's becoming increasingly clear that this isn't just an astrophysics problem, of galaxies and galaxy clusters, but this is also a particle physics problem. In order to understand what's happening on the largest scales, we need to understand something very small, like a new particle, or maybe primordial black holes. What's Chanda's favorite dark matter candidate, right? This is what you're dying to know. So I'll end the suspense by telling you then my favorite candidate is something called the axion. This is the hypothetical particle. And the first thing that I want to tell you about the axion is that it was almost called the Higlet. <laughs> and whoever chose axion just completely blew it, okay? I'm pretty bummed about that. But the axion is a compelling particle because it's a twofer. It 
addresses a problem that we already had, a conflict between theory and experiment in the realm of quark physics. <laughs> the universe is a wonderfully strange and fantastical place, and that's why humans as a species have always wanted to study it. And this is why we have so much fun trying to understand it. So how are we going to go looking for the axion or any other dark matter particle? Well, you might think that we have to use traditional particle physics approaches, like colliders, where we smash particles together and see what comes out. But astrophysical signals have something to say. Telescopes from across the electromagnetic spectrum, for example, the proposed NASA facility, the Strobex X-ray Space Telescope, can help us potentially determine what exactly dark matter is. But telescopes look at the very large. How can we use the extremely large to understand something so small? Well, in the case of the axion, it helps to pay attention to its quantum classification. So all particles come in one of two quantum categories, fermions and bosons. So fermions, even when things get cold, like to keep their distance from each other. They're antisocial. That's how it is. Bosons, on the other hand, when they get below a critical temperature, they're like five-year-olds on a soccer field. So they don't have a concept of formation. They all just bunch up together. So in technical terms, we call this the formation of a Bose-Einstein condensate, where all of the particles come together and act like one superparticle. So importantly, axions are bosons. And so now you have a sense of why I like working with them. I'm completely enamored with the idea of axion Bose-Einstein condensates. So usually we talk about creating these quantum states in the lab using atoms, but now we're talking about the possibility of maybe galaxy-scale Bose-Einstein condensates made out of dark matter. Over the age of the universe, the subhalo starts to get torn apart. And what my team's work shows is that the way that this happens with axions is different than with other dark matter candidates because it goes into the special condensate state. Now imagine the possibility that there's more than one type of dark matter candidate. Maybe there's more than one type of dark matter particle. How much richer this picture can be? There's no cosmic rule that says there can only be one. So in the end, I expect the universe to force us to reevaluate what we thought we knew. When we honor the land and the sky as our galactic relations and their indigenous stewards, it becomes possible for us to imagine new ways of being in good relations with each other. That's why I, as a black queer person, am so proud to follow in the footsteps of my ancestors who studied and dreamed with the night sky, sometimes of freedom. Astronomers like Harriet Tubman for whom the recently launched James Webb Space Telescope should be renamed. I honor the gay NASA employees who were persecuted under the leadership of JWST's namesake, even as I share in the tremendous community-wide excitement for what that facility is going to teach us about dark matter. And I honor the memory of Vera C. Rubin, the astronomer who first asked me as a young, terrified graduate student, how do you think we should solve the dark matter problem? We live in an amazing time to be doing dark matter research. Over the next de decade, we're going to see the universe 
with incredible accuracy and clarity, thanks to these new telescopes on the ground and in the sky. We'll probably get some answers, but we're going to get a host of new questions. And my team, we're going to be ready. So the search for dark matter is on. What's your favorite candidate? If it's not an axion, you better fix that. Thank you. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. This was my first encounter with Prescott Weinstein's work. And I have to say that her enthusiasm for telescopic advancements convinces me that seeing is believing. I mean, to hear her tell it, telescopes will be the most important next step in shaping our understanding of ourselves and the universe. As if you haven't heard me say it enough, tech is important. And as we approach this incredible development, I want to call out something that Prescott Weinstein said in her talk about Harriet Tubman. Because it's also so important to consider how we name these technologies and who we value as we move into that next stage of scientific development and discovery. As an African-American woman in my family, we had a poster of Black inventions in our home as a reminder of our scientific contributions to this country. Things like the mop, the traffic light, and even the groundwork for GPS as we know it was created by a Black woman named Gladys West from the 1950s on a U.S. Navy base. In my home, we made sure to celebrate inventions that are rarely attributed to the Black scientists that developed them. So while naming the James Webb Telescope after a Black woman like Harriet Tubman might be considered a bold idea or perhaps even controversial, Tech gets limited by not including a multiplicity of viewpoints. And sometimes that leads to creating harm rather than solving problems. Harriet Tubman was one of the first astronomers. Maybe she wasn't formally trained, but she followed the stars. And honoring that achievement would go a long way towards closing the achievement gap in tech. We need to see beyond the surface of who we think of as an authority. And this extends to who we name tech after. Because it serves as a guidance for what is to come and who gets to determine how it's used. Mm-hmm.